0: Hi, I'm Dr. Troni Lodog, physician, teacher, and author. Thank you for joining me for today's chat, brought to you by The Vitamin Shop. Today I really wanted to explore what it means to be healthy. There are a lot of different definitions out there, and while many people understand what it means to be sick, how do we really know when we're experiencing health and well-being? Clearly, this is a topic at the top of many Americans' minds, since we are spending billions of dollars every single year in the pursuit of health. So as a physician, when I went to medical school, I was taught to diagnose disease. You came in with some symptoms, and my job was to be a detective. Listen to your story, and then to do a great physical exam, get your past medical history, your family's history order some appropriate tests, and then to narrow in on the diagnosis. So much of my training was focused on disease. It was not focused on health. And even when we look to the World Health Organization and we look at how they define health, they say that it is a state of complete physical, mental, and social well-being and not merely the absence of disease or infirmity. Now, that first part, that complete physical, mental, and social well-being, they coined that in 1948. So this is how long ago the WHO was trying to define what it means to be healthy. Now, I'm going to unpack that statement a little bit. I liked the part very much where it says that health isn't simply not being sick. That health is not just about the absence of disease or infirmity. Because I have met so many people who've come into my office and they feel tired, they're lethargic, they're not enjoying their life, they're not sleeping well, and I will order a barrage of tests, make sure their thyroid's working fine, that they're not anemic, you know, doing all the things I'm supposed to do. They come back in and I give them the good news that there's nothing wrong with them. There's no serious disease or ailment that we could identify, and yet how many of them would look at me and say, that's great, doc. I'm glad you didn't find anything wrong with me, but I'm still tired. I'm not sleeping well. I don't have any energy. So clearly this person was not experiencing health, even if they had an absence of objective findings that we could sort of identify as being wrong with them. But the part that maybe I take a little issue with, that definition that the WHO gave us, is that word complete, a state of complete physical, mental, and social well-being. You know, I just got to say, not just being a physician, but also just being somebody who is alive in this 21st century, I think complete is a word that's very difficult to achieve. It reminds me of perfection. And perfection to me is a goal that is seldom attainable. And it's one that actually causes people a lot of despair. And so I don't want people to feel like health is something that is perfection, that it is a complete physical, mental, and social well-being to experience health. But I do like the direction that they're taking. What they were trying to express there was there's something about an equilibrium, a state of balance that we're looking for that's within ourselves, and it's a state of health that we feel inside of ourselves, an equilibrium that allows us to pursue our dreams, that allows us to live a life where we have the ability to cope with adversity, for us to be able to be strong enough to be able to do the things that we want to get done. It's this underlying dimension, if you will, of our human existence that allows us to experience the fullness of our lives, even if we should be sick. Let me give you an example. I had a patient who was in her 30s who had rheumatoid arthritis. She was wheelchair-bound. Her hands were very gnarled, and her fingers very curled, her joints very disfigured. And yet, when I would see her, when she would come in to see me as her physician, she was always happy. You know, here was this woman in a wheelchair who'd had rheumatoid arthritis since she was a teenager. It hit her in her late teens. And she was happier than many of my patients who had really good physical health. And once I asked her, why are you always like in such a great mood and you seem so happy? And she said, well, you know, I teach singing lessons. And when I was young, I loved to sing. I was in the choir. I always wanted to maybe even go to Broadway. I loved singing and this is what's happened to me. So I'm not ever going to be on Broadway, but I love helping people find the music that is inside of them. And I remember when she told me that and I was looking at her and I was just thinking, wow, you know, she seemed whole and she seemed healed in so many ways. You know, she found this wholeness inside of her. She found what still gave her joy. She had undergone this horrible disease that was really debilitating for her and her physical body, and she could so easily have just said, why me, and kind of gave up, but she did not. She found that place of wholeness inside of her, and even though she did not have complete physical well-being, I would say she was quite healthy. So within her, she found that place of health, even though she had this disease. So when I look at that definition that the WHO gave us, instead of putting complete in front of it, I think more about some sort of balance, right? Some equilibrium between our physical, our mental, and our social selves that we are trying to tend to all of those. For me personally, I believe that health comes down to a lot about the way we live our lives. Um, That means healthy nutrition. Of course, eating a healthy diet. It means exposing ourselves to as few chemicals as possible. And I mean that. You know, toxic chemicals, there's a lot more in the environment than there were, you know, 50, 60 years ago. I think we need to limit our exposures to them. Social networks; these are really important. It's interesting. There was a um, study that was done by Brigham Young University where they actually looked at more than 145 trials, 144 studies, and they found that people who identified as being socially isolated and alone, lonely—not just feeling alone, but feeling lonely—and define themselves as socially isolated, it was worse for your health then being obese, then never exercising, then smoking three-quarters of a pack of cigarettes every day, or being an alcoholic. That really shows how much human beings really need that social connection. We're social animals. When we feel isolated and alone, we suffer. And our health suffers. It relates to something else called the Inner Heart Trial that took place in more than 52 countries, 27,000 people, and they found that a woman, this was true for women, who felt socially isolated and alone or hopeless, that it was more predictive that they were going to have a heart attack than if they had high blood pressure, they were obese, or they were diabetic. So when we start thinking about health... I want to make sure that you're also considering that social fabric. As I sometimes tell a patient, look, I'd rather you eat Pop-Tarts with your best friend than eat a salad every night alone. So you have to consider everything here. It's not just about eating well, and it's not just about getting that physical activity that we need every day. It's also about maintaining healthy social networks, being and surrounding ourselves with people that help us be our best self. Everybody's known somebody that made them feel worse than when you started out before you were even with that person. That's not going to be good for your health. Managing your stress is another huge component of being healthy. It is. None of us are able to achieve great health habits when we're feeling the effects of toxic stress. So clearly, life in the 21st century really means that, you know, to experience health, we are going to have to figure out ways to manage our stress. When we're under the effects of chronic or really kind of toxic stress, there's this whole cascade of stress hormones that are released into the body, and these cause all kinds of adverse effects. They make us crave sugar and fat, so harder to make healthier diet choices. We definitely know that high stress impacts our ability to sleep, and associated with poor sleep also means weight gain. So... High stress is strongly correlated with poor sleep, weight gain, poor dietary choices. It can also elevate blood pressure. As part of that fight-or-flight response, we're mobilizing sugars and we're mobilizing fats into the bloodstream. But unlike our ancestors who were busy running away from the animal or turning and doing battle, we just sit at a desk. So we're not using that fuel in a productive way. This could contribute also to high blood sugar, high cholesterol, which then sets the stage for heart disease, diabetes, etc. So clearly, finding ways to manage our stress is important if we're looking to lead a healthy life. You have to come up with your own strategies. For me, walks in the woods, that's probably one of the best ways for me to decompress. But my whole life, physical activity has been an important release for me. I did martial arts for many, many years. That was a great outlet for my stress. I'd come in irritated from the day or whatever, and you'd go into a 90-minute class, and by the end of it, the stress was gone. You were just in a much better state of being. And, of course, all those fight-or-flight hormones, all of that blood sugar and fat that we'd mobilized had been used up during the class so those of you who are listening find your way to be physically active to eat a good diet because both of those will also help you manage your stress and then finding strategies for coping with stressful situations is important i think one of the easiest no cost ways to sort of decompress is to actually use your breath there's a 478 breath that i was taught and have used And have taught countless numbers of patients over the years, it's called the four, seven, eight breath. All it is, is you're going to do a series of four breaths in which you inhale through the nose for the count of four. You hold that breath for the count of seven. And then you slowly exhale through the mouth for the count of eight. When you do this four times, you will find at the end the whole energy changed. You're going to just find that you're calmer, that everything feels quieter. And you can do this when you're at the bank waiting in line and you're running late. You can do it when you're stuck in traffic and people are honking. You take your breath with you wherever you go. And that four, seven, eight breath basically is a way of countering that stress response. See, in the stress response, you've got the sympathetic and the parasympathetic. And basically, when you take these slow, deep breaths, you're quieting that sympathetic drive and you're bringing out that parasympathetic part of your nervous system, which allows you to feel relaxed and calm. So other things that you want to think about with your health, in addition to your healthy food choices and movement, social connections and stress, minimizing exposures to environmental toxins gosh there was a time when I think most of us our grandparents and great-grandparents just didn't have to worry about the 88,000 chemicals that are in our environment there are many of them and while you cannot make yourself crazy about all of these chemicals you do want to do whatever you can in the long run to minimize your exposure things you can do like buy fragrance free types of skincare products. Many of these synthetic fragrances are a primary source of phthalates, which are harmful for both men and women. Bisphenol A is found in many sorts of plastics that we use. So using glass whenever possible, storing things in glass containers instead of plastic, using recyclable or reusable water bottles instead of using plastic bottles that may have BPA in them. All of these are just sort of strategies that you can use to help you experience a sense of health and well-being. Smoking is probably one of our biggest environmental toxins that we can avoid. I was shocked that the Center for Disease Control still shows that Americans, about 20 percent of us, still smoke. What? Really? What's going on? I mean, so People over the age of 65, many of them, we haven't seen really a change in their smoking habits. It may be that they've just smoked a long time and it's hard to quit. But really shocking to me is how many young people are starting to smoke. So I would just say anybody who's planning and investing on in their health for the long term, cigarette smoking or being around cigarette smoke is something you definitely want to avoid. Alcohol Some people could consider, you know, something that has the potential to be harmful, but I would tell you as far as the data goes for health and healthy living, modest amounts of alcohol actually seem to be good for you if you don't have a problem with drinking. This means no more than one serving a day for women or two for men. I personally think that wines in particular may be even more healthy than some other forms of alcohol because of the richness of the grape themselves all of the health benefits and healthy compounds that we find from grape and grape juice that you can also get when you drink wine. Please know, though, that excessive amounts of alcohol are bad for the bones. They're not good for health. They increase our risk for falling. Somebody um, who lives in the state of New Mexico, where we have a problem with DWIs greater than many other states in the country, I'm very aware of alcohol addiction, and, of course, the negative consequences of alcohol. But modest amounts of alcohol actually can be good for you as long as you keep it in moderation. When I think of the other sort of fundamental parts of health, you may be surprised that I haven't focused much on weight and weight management. It's because, actually, in my own practice as a physician, I have never found focusing on weight to be a very useful goal everybody's got a goal. I'm going to lose 20 pounds. I'm going to, you know, all the things that we say we're going to do. But I'd rather focus on health and healthy habits than focusing on weight and weight loss. And the reason for that is that you can be a really unhealthy, skinny person. I mean that. You could eat a horrible diet, never exercise, not manage your stress, smoke cigarettes, and be thin, and not be healthy. And you can be somebody who is overweight, Or even obese, but walking every day, making healthy food choices, getting a nice balance between movement and rest, minimizing your exposure to environmental toxins, having healthy social networks, and actually be healthier than that thin person. So for me, I don't focus a lot in my personal practice, nor have I ever in my career really on weight. It's more about health. How do we make healthier choices? Now, I want to sort of shift gears a little bit and talk for a moment about this concept of resiliency as part of health, right, as part of being healthy and whole. Resiliency comes from the Latin word resilio, which means to bounce back. All of us know people who seem to be able to bounce back from anything. Some bad thing happens, they lose their job. Things are not going well, and they bounce back. They find a better job than the one they had. Somebody who's had a divorce that they did not want. They weren't the person initiating the divorce. It was deeply painful. They went through a hard time. But then they came out on the other side even stronger, even a better version of themselves than before. So this notion of resiliency, I think, is a powerful one in our vernacular today, and I think it's deeply powerful for our health. The ability to cope with adversity, to get through hardship, and to bounce back, I think is a core principle of experiencing health over a lifetime. When I was at the University of Arizona, I was an associate professor there, I had on my desk a quote, and I don't remember who said it, but I do remember the quote because I thought it was powerful. It said, More than education, more than experience, more than training, a person's level of resilience will determine who succeeds and who fails. That's true in the cancer ward, it's true in the Olympics. And it's true in the boardroom. Wow. I get it. I did competitive martial arts. I know that resilience, you know, the ability after you pulled your groin muscle, you've got bruises all over your shins from where you kicked somebody's elbows, your ability to come back and keep doing it, keep training, it really defined whether you were going to be successful, whether you were going to get your black belt or not. In your job, in your career, I think that resiliency also, you know, when you have a setback, can you move forward? And I definitely know in health, when people can see what's going on in their life, in their health, what's going on, what's today right in front of them, they can see it realistically and they can pull on their strengths. They can find that sense of strength within them and call upon it when it's needed. I think those are the ones that have a better chance of survival. So this resiliency, it's very powerful. And I wonder in your own life how resilient you are. How do you call upon that when you're struggling? How do you pull that out of yourself? So even if you've had hard times in your life, even if there's been some really hard times, because life gets hard, we will have times in our life when we lose somebody we loved, When we lose a relationship, when we lose a job, when something doesn't come out the way we thought, when we're diagnosed with heart disease or some lupus or cancer, we're diagnosed with something that shakes our world and makes it hard not to say, why me? The sign of resiliency and a key to the very essence of your health and well being is for you to be able to build a bridge from that present-day hardship to build a bridge to a better tomorrow that is what i've seen with that woman with rheumatoid arthritis her ability to build a bridge from the crippling of her disease to helping others find that voice that music within them that was an example it was an example of me with my own cancer diagnosis when i was diagnosed with cancer for me to make the decision of how I was going to change my work-life balance. I didn't want to get cancer, trust me, but I gained a lot from my cancer, meaning I found my way back to wholeness, meaning that I didn't want to keep on that same 60-hour academic work track. I wanted to shift into something different. I was going to do less patient care, do more consulting, I was going to write books. I was going to spend more time teaching. So I built a bridge between what was a life-threatening diagnosis to a better version of myself. I'm more whole and I'm more happy today. Now, I would say this is also why I've really spent a lot of time thinking about what it means to be healthy because the day I went into the oncologist's office and was told I had this advanced cancer diagnosis, I remember the oncologist telling my husband and I, I'm so glad you're so healthy, which at the moment feels like a totally weird statement. It's like, if I was so healthy, why do I have cancer? You know, his point was, I am so glad you are so healthy because it means your body is going to be able to take the treatment we're going to throw at it. It's going to find its way back. My blood pressure was normal. My cholesterol was normal. My thyroid was normal. I wasn't overweight. I was physically active every single day. I didn't smoke. I mean, I had really a whole lot of good healthy habits. And that's part of it, right? Even when you're doing all the things that you can to be healthy, it doesn't mean that sickness won't befall you. It won't mean that, you know, illness isn't going to be part of your future. What it means is that you're going to stack all the odds in your favor so that if you should get sick, you've got all of your body, everything working as well as it can so that you can get through it and past it. So when I think of health and what it means, I think people have been struggling with that definition for a long time. And what it means for me to be healthy is going to be different than what it means for you. You have to figure out for yourself, how are you going to invest in your future? Because trust me, life is a marathon. It is not a sprint. If you are listening to this and you're 30 years old, you may have another 50 and 60 years of life ahead of you. Just like we encourage people to save in their retirement so that financially they have the money they need to one day live in retirement, I would tell you, just like you're making deposits in that IRA or 401k, I hope you are making investments in yourself. Because when you're 65 or 67 or 70, whenever it is you're going to decide to retire, it's not going to be enough to have money in your bank account If you're struggling with heart disease and diabetes and arthritis and depression and cancer, you're going to want to be able to live a life that's going to allow you to pursue your dreams and that also will allow you to really compress your morbidity to the very end of your life. And what I mean by that is that I have seen as a physician people who are 40 years old who you would think are closer to 70 by the way they live their lives and the way they appear and their health. And I have seen 80 year old people with the best attitudes, even if their body was starting to fail them, that were healthy and whole and enjoying their life and getting around, not on 10 different drugs to keep everything going right. So when I'm talking about health, I'm really encouraging you to do what you can today to make your day the best it can be today, but to really lay the foundation for this journey of a thousand miles that you're undertaking. And the journey of a thousand miles really does start with the first step. Take the place in your life today that you can have the most impact. Is it by making some better dietary choices it's it's by saying i'm going to invest in a fitness tracker i'm going to start tracking my movement every day start investing in yourself i fly a lot and i find that talk that they give you at the beginning of the flight to be so analogous to life the flight attendant will say okay you know after they do the seatbelt thing they'll say okay If we should suddenly lose cabin pressure, an oxygen mask will fall down from up above you, stretch it, put it on your face. And if you're traveling with a child or someone who needs your help, please put on your mask first and then help them get their mask on. So many of us today think that if we take care of ourselves or focus on ourselves, that somehow that makes us selfish. Or that makes us not such a good person. What I would tell you is that you must take care of yourself so that you will have all of the energy that you need to be able to go to work, for you to be able to take care of your family, for you to be able to be in good relationship with others. That self care is self preservation. And just like on that plane, if you put somebody else's mask on first, if you put everybody else's needs, In front of your own, then you're going to pass out and you're not going to be of any help to anybody in the long run. If you do not value yourself, you will never be able to make the healthy choices that are needed for you to experience a life that's whole and full and rich. You have to value yourself. Before you can value others. And you have to value yourself because if you don't care about yourself, I'd ask you the question what have you ever taken great care of that you didn't like? We take care of the things that we love and that are important to us. So, to make all the choices that are going to be needed for you to adopt better lifestyle choices, you're going to have to value yourself and love yourself for that to happen i think my own personal version of health and wellness stems from my childhood when i was coming back from a powwow with my grandma joe that had been held in medicine lodge kansas my grandmother looked over at me now my grandmother was park comanche And Medicine Lodge held a very special place in her heart because this is where the Comanches surrendered to the United States government. And it's where the treaty was signed. And there were powwows held in Medicine Lodge every so many years. And I would go with my grandmother. This was deeply personal to her. And I remember her telling me something that she had been told as a child and that she shared with me when I was about eight. She said, you know, baby, when you are born, you're set on a path, and that path, that's your medicine road. Everything you do in your life affects you. The way you eat, the way you move in the world, the thoughts that you think, the way you treat other people and the way you treat the earth and the world around you, it's medicine good or bad, that's your medicine. You want to think carefully about how you live your life and where you put your feet. Like many of us, when you're a kid and somebody old tells you something like that, you don't really get it. You don't take in the fullness of what's being said to you. But I will tell you, in my many, many years as being an integrative doctor, a physician who specializes in integrative health and medicine, That much of what we're finding today in science, much of what we're learning about how to prevent chronic disease and how to live a life that's full and whole, how to experience health and well-being, it takes its roots in what that woman said, my grandmother with an eighth-grade education in a pickup truck in southwestern Kansas so long ago. It's the everyday stuff of our lives that really determines the quality of our life. I want to leave you with these final thoughts. I believe health is related to wholeness. I think that health springs from a sense of wholeness, and I believe that we all have wholeness inside of us. No matter if we're dealing with a sickness or no matter if we're dealing with hardships in our life, there is a wholeness inside of us, and that's what houses our innate resiliency. And that it is from this wholeness, this place of being whole, that throughout our lives we grow and we learn and we experience life, we adapt, we cope, and we pursue our dreams. I want to thank you for taking time out of your busy day to join me, and I hope you will continue to live a life that is filled with inspiration and nourishment so that you can thrive every day. Until next time.